This is On Mike with Jordan Rich, where conversation with creative people is alive and well. Joining us today is Stephanie Gary, and she wears two hats. She's the Executive Vice President for Communal Partnership at the Plaza Jewish Community Chapel in New York, a funeral chapel that puts family and community first. Stephanie's job is to coordinate resources for the bereaved who are coping with emotional or practical problems. Now, death is not easy for anybody, but with kind, empathetic, caring people like Stephanie, there's the help needed to get through it all. As mentioned, she wears two hats. Stephanie is also an accomplished actress with a long list of credits, particularly in national TV commercials. So I'll be talking with her about that as well. Let's begin the conversation right now and invite Stephanie Gary to join us right here on Mike. Delightful to meet you, Stephanie, and there are some important things we're going to be touching on, but uh, congratulations on the fine work caring for people during difficult times. Not an easy subject to talk about, is it? Not at all. Not at all. And yet, what we've been able to do is really make this conversation one that people know they need to talk about. So we've normalized it. We've created uh, an environment, not only here at the chapel, but certainly out in the community where end of life is part of living. And the more we talk about it, the easier it is, actually. Well, you've got a podcast now that's about to launch, if it hasn't already, and you're doing a lot of outreach, including this. We really do, in the Western culture, in, in this culture, have a profound fear of even talking about death. And death right. is, is something taboo, and it's frowned upon. And you said it a minute ago. You said offering openings to converse about it is a great way to take some of its punch away. In a certain absolutely, way. absolutely. And what's really interesting to your point is that there are so many cultures that embrace end of life. It's part of the life cycle. You know, we talk about birth, we talk about weddings, and we don't necessarily talk about end of life, but so many other cultures do. And I think that's um, a few things. Families, intergenerational families live together. Um, here we tend to, if you will, people go to nursing homes, how many people don't live in multi-generational homes. So I think what we're able to do is create, if you will, a dinner conversation around this. I'm not suggesting we talk about it all the time, but I definitely am suggesting that we talk about it enough that we take the mystery out of something that is coming our way, no matter what. I think that's an excellent point. The, the idea that we all have our own thoughts on on what it means to to us and what it means to lose someone. Where are they? That's the question that we all wrestle with. But you're at the Plaza uh, Chapel. You're really doing some things that are, I, I don't want to say totally innovative because I'm not sure what's going on elsewhere, but I'll give you credit for being uh, <laughs> forward-thinking and progressive. Let's outline some of the things that you're doing that you're very proud to share with our audience here to help people get through this. Thank you. I, we are. I will tell you, the chapel was established 21 years ago, and its mission is not only to ensure that every member of the community receive a dignified burial, and of course, to take the profit motive out of the equation, because we are a not-for-profit institution, but 
Just as important is to provide education and bereavement support to end-of-life conversation. So we do that in a variety of ways. We do about 50 educational programs a year in community centers, in synagogues, for adults, for children, to talk about what happens when somebody dies. Uh, what people go through, rituals we talk about here at Plaza, Jewish rituals that people can use to frame, if you will, the experience. And, you know, when we talk about it like this, it's not scary. It's not, um, oh my gosh, because we're talking about it when we're okay. Mm. The conversation completely changes when somebody gets a diagnosis, which is why we really encourage people to have these conversations when they don't need to. Yeah, it's like estate planning. You, you want to do yeah. it when you're fit and healthy and, uh, oh, I'll sign this will. <laughs> Hope that exactly. It's exactly. a long way in the future. Just get it out of the way. Get it done. For sure. And yeah. actually, one of our, um, we are in the process of launching our podcast. It's called the Exit Strategy, and I'm really excited about it. And we drop our first podcast mid-May, and we've already recorded a, a few of the podcasts. And one of them is with an estate and trust attorney, because end-of-life planning includes estate planning that's part of this. And so when people can have these conversations, as I said, when they don't need to, makes a huge difference for sure. There are uh, an exceedingly number, uh, important number of issues here. And uh, we are living longer as a rule, although the last couple of years uh, has taken apparently a couple of years off the average mortality rate. But uh, we are living longer lives. And that is wonderful in some respects, difficult in others. But you're often faced, I'm sure, with the passing of someone unexpectedly at a very young age. That's when you really have to apply the techniques of, of soothing the soul and the mind and the body. What, what special considerations are, are there for people who are going through that kind of unmitigated grief these days? You know, I will tell you, and I know that you know this as well, um, when somebody dies, when a heart stops beating of somebody in our world, somebody we loved, the energy in our world physically shifts. Uh, we feel that. We all have felt that. When we can prepare for that moment, that is truly a luxury, that is a gift. And when we can't, it is a traumatic experience. Uh, it happens. It happens more often uh, than we care to talk about, which is another reason why we like people to talk about mm. end of life, because the healthiest person can go into the shower tomorrow morning and they could have an aneurysm on the spot. That happens. So what we encourage people to do in those moments, if they are affiliated with a, a congregation, a community, where there are clergy available. We have social workers who are available who can guide people through these traumatic and difficult moments. And we encourage that for sure. We at Plaza um, run a number of bereavement support groups. Most of the time, a bereavement support group doesn't kick in for someone until time has passed. But when it comes to traumatic loss, 
initially people have to deal with what's in front of them, which is burying the person, taking care of the end of life arrangements, and then they need to find their way with next steps. Um, we are always in favor of professional support guiding them because we are not uh, capable of doing that, but we can certainly direct people in the right. Mm. Resources are so yeah. precious. And in the old days, not too many years ago, you were pretty much left on your own, you and the family and maybe a, a funeral director. There weren't the kind of resources there are today, Stephanie. True, for sure. And I will tell you that we have found that by elevating the conversation, we're talking about things that people weren't talking about years ago. Uh, you can think back to when people didn't want to talk about cancer diagnoses, people didn't want to talk about divorces, people didn't want to talk about death, suicide, all these topics. And now there's a plethora of, of access out there in terms of where people can go. And I am so fortunate to know so many people, certainly in the metro New York area, who can really help and guide people through these impossibly challenging moments. One doesn't realize the impact of, of great professional empathy until you have a person in hospice. My mother passed away in October of last year at the age of 92 after a, a not a long illness, but a rough one. And uh, I, I can't say enough, as, as you know, hospice workers around the world are just amazing angels on earth. But also, I, w I would like to point out the importance of having the, the empathy gene in place when you're doing the kind of work you're doing. It's so critical because we're tender, we're raw at that point. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's important, isn't it, for your staff to be up to speed on that? Absolutely. And, and we like to think that we truly meet people where they're at in that moment. Um, because we are a not-for-profit, the bottom line is not what's driving this institution, supporting people in this fragile, challenging moment to be their guide is is what's in front of us and and that is a gift i have to tell you while i'm not a licensed funeral director we have five who work here it's a gift to be able to be present for people in this moment truly to be of service to them so this is a, obviously a jewish organization yes. uh, uh with with roots in the Jewish community. And of course, there are multi-faiths represented throughout the world and the country. But mm -hmm. uh, what's interesting, every major faith and religion and, and even less major ones have rituals associated with the end of life, almost as though we all got the same memo, have a ritual of some <laughs> kind, because it really does. It brings right. people together and it gives us a a reason to be in the same place at the same time. Talk about yes. the, the, as you see it, the importance of ritual. Oh, I think uh, ritual provides a framework for those who are going through the process. Um, without ritual, where is the compass? It's simply another chore to do in the course of the day. Uh, and what ritual allows us to do is to take the appropriate, quote unquote, time to go through the steps to get us to the next step. Uh, I, I teach a number of classes and one of them is Jewish ritual at the end of life. And as I talk about the process that we go through each time, 
I'm reminded of the sense that it makes. It truly is, is in our pocket and it's there to support us and guide us. Each step, each day in terms of what the day should look like because we're without our rudder. You know, we lost our rudder at sea when that family mm. member or friend died. And the customs, the rituals, even for the most secular families, people really come back to it in these moments because everybody's looking for something. So uh, I find uh, our rituals to be of, of great comfort, and I know that they are to the vast majority of families that we serve. Every once in a while, you'll see a story in the news on TV about a pauper's field and about uh, those who have no identity and well, like the unknown soldier at Arlington. And the fact that people, and I give them high marks, will have a ceremony for someone who's not famous, not known, may not even have an ID card, talks to my heart about the importance of of caring enough to sort of honor the fact that somebody's alive at some point and no longer. I didn't think that's that's really uh, special. Nice. The other aspect to this, um, well, I'm wondering, because of the technology we have available with video and, and digital recording and all that, the idea of creating a living legacy, there's a living will, which is a great device. What What else are people, what are they trying to do to leave that legacy intact? Yeah, I, I think something that's that's being done a lot now, which I think is absolutely terrific, is something called an ethical will. Mm-hmm. People are writing ethical wills because they want, um, when they die, of course, they need to divide up, you know, who's getting grandma's uh, silver and, and who's getting this and that. But they also want to leave a bit of themselves in terms of who they were as individuals, what they believed in, what mattered to them. And, and that's a way to really instill in generations to come what your great-grandfather was like. I have to tell you, we were sitting around the, the Seder table and we were talking about the fact that generations from now, people aren't going to know who we were Yes, my son was at the table, and uh, hopefully he will have children, and his children will have children so that the legacy continues. But they won't know who we are unless we leave an ethical will about Mm. what was important to us, what spoke to us, how we lived our lives, or certainly hope to live our lives. And I think there's something really special in that. So um, I agree. an ethical will is definitely something that is more popular today than it was five or 10 years ago. And I think it's only going to become more popular as time goes on. Well, I think it serves two purposes. It serves to connect us to the next generation, generation, generation after that. But it also reminds us that we have a certain sense of having been here and our legacy will will continue on. People will remember us. I think that's the saddest thing then. You talk to people who are who are very old and living in a nursing home and feel forgotten and feel as though they'll never be remembered. But that's where, well, I don't want to get too ethereal, but that's where that's okay. people live on, as <laughs> as we say in the Jewish tradition, they live on in our memories and our hearts. We do, and so. we say that, and we also say that we stand on the shoulders of those who came before us. So that's another way to do that, for sure. So you're doing all of this outreach, but you've got another side to your career, and uh, <laughs> there's a little show business in everybody. And, and Crazy. I, before I we talk about that, uh, I think it it's 
you're in the perfect place to do what you do now because you are such a great presenter. You've got a beautiful voice and you come across so well. And there's a reason for that because you have been in the business that I've been in for a long, long time. You've been a, an actor and a, and a commercial artist and a VO artist, voiceover. I know. So, Crazy. So Crazy. obviously this gig now, which is very important to you, not where you started out. Tell us a little bit about how you got enrolled in this crazy show business thing that you still do a little bit. Absolutely. I still do. (laughs) And you know, it's really amazing. Uh, A great life lesson is that it shows you that every step that you take in life totally leads you to the next step, even though you may not be aware of it, but it is taking you, um, as we like to say, uh, fashion forward. Uh, so it was interesting. I, I got my degree in theater in um, the late 70s and moved to New York from the Midwest uh, to pursue a career in the theater. And lo and behold, I was living that glorious romantic life as an actor slash waiter. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not surprised. Slash actor slash waiter. And I was, um, I was doing a show and I an agent uh, was at the show and she came backstage afterwards. And I thought, this is so great. And uh, she said, come to my office tomorrow. I want to sign you. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is it. This is it. And um, I went to her office the next day and she actually had papers ready for me for the commercial department. And I was like, you know what? I didn't come to New York to do commercials. And she said, trust me, if you do this, you, you will have a career. You will have a career. And I thought, okay, waiting tables, doing commercials. All right, maybe I'll do that. So lo and behold, I signed with William Morris and that agent remains a friend of mine today. I'm so happy to say. And I started doing what everybody else in the commercial world was doing. (laughs) At that time, it was pretty small. Uh, The early 80s, it was definitely a community of people because how many people wanted to do commercials in the 80s? Absolutely. Let me just jump in here. Same thing in Boston uh, where I've been in my entire career, and that is a small coterie of people and a small, in Boston anyway, a small group of agencies and studios. It wasn't as though it was spread out internationally as it is today remotely. Yeah. Right. Okay. No, for okay. sure. So you're in the you're in the the clique there that was being hired often because you were good. Got it. Got it. I was so blessed. I I couldn't make it to all my auditions each day. I mean, when you had eight or ten auditions and you had a couple of demo bookings, and you were like, I, I can't do all this. And little did I know how that was going to change twenty years later. Do you recall some of the early products or companies oh, you worked course. for? Sure. We don't forget our products because um, I'm sure much like you, whenever I booked a spot for something right away, I bought it. I thought that was going to make a difference. <laughs> well, even cars? Because <laughs> my first commercial in radio was a car dealership and I didn't really have the cash to buy the Toyota at the time. So funny. What, was, so what, funny. Were, what were some of those early ones? So what was really funny is that I didn't really see myself as a Procter and Gamble person, but lo and behold, there I was, Crest and Scope and Light. I was very clean, you know. Lysol and AT and T was a huge spot for me. I could go on and on. White Cloud toilet paper. I'm telling you, I was very clean. These are are these available still? Like on YouTube? Can you do you dial sure. yourself up? I'm sure you do. Yeah. It's so funny. And when I get them and people send them to me or I'll see them, I I will look at and I'll go, who 
was that person? <laughs> you know, my voice is a little higher. My hair is a different color. And it's, it's just really wonderful. I have the, the fondest memories of that time, the journey that that was, the running around, the shooting. And by the way, in those days, we didn't have cell phones. We had answering services that we would yeah. call. Yeah. And I'd get a message saying, <laughs> run to this audition, go there. And it was it yeah. was a complete joy. And I traveled the world shooting commercials. Oh, that's so cool. Everywhere. It was great. It and was those great. skill sets, as, as I see, you never lose them. And not only the ability to uh, to appear on a, on a camera and speak into the camera, but to act, you had that ability and to use that wonderful voice of yours to uh, deliver... Yeah, you know, it's really amazing how when I started working here at Plaza, I had no idea that I was literally transferring a skill set that was going to be of great use to me um, and one that I needed to do my job. So it's, it's an amazing journey. It all fits together, as a friend of mine says, this is the greatest role of your life in terms of what you're doing now by uh, talking about death and making death uh, something that's okay to talk about and to hear about, as opposed to making it um, scary and frightening as, as we know it can be. Yeah, yeah. Elim- eliminating a, a level of fear, regret, and, uh, mm-hmm. and discord is so important. Uh, but as you say, before you, you enter into that, maelstrom before you get there, which is why these outreach programs, the podcast, and all the things you're doing make so much sense. Well, we are thrilled to meet you. Uh, We met through a mutual friend, and uh, I was very impressed with the fact that you've done exactly what I've been doing for all these years, (laughs) but a whole lot more in the work you're doing. The website, uh, plazajewishcommunitychapel.org, is that correct? Correct. Correct. That's it. And uh, we can expect to hear you uh, as this podcast records in mid-April. It'll probably be uh, hitting the airwaves, uh, the airwaves, the cloud waves, whatever you call them, in mid-May when you will be up and running. So I, I just wish you the very, very best. I know it's going to be a great, great impact. Oh, budget. thank you so much. What a treat to be in conversation with you and to now know you and your world and to know how closely connected we are. So that's really special. I can't help but think about the, and the, add a little humor here, think about famous last words of famous people. <laughs> and, oh, that's great. Uh, if you ever want to warm up a crowd, there's a whole list of them. You can get them. You can just Google them. Famous last words. My favorite would be Oscar Wilde, the great poet and playwright, dying in his alcohol state. Last words, I believe, were somebody ought to do something about the wallpaper, and then he died. I mean, <laughs> it's a great way to go out. He said, he I don't know said, what. I'm going to think about that now. I, don't, I, I love that idea. Might have been, I don't know what's going to go first, me or the wallpaper. It was one of those great lines <laughs> of fabulous wit. Yeah, no, it's it's uh, we Jews. I mean, you know, humor. Yeah. That's how we survive. We have to have humor. You know what? We have to have humor because uh, it's a tough world out there. <laughs> it so is humor. Humor is a gift. Absolutely. Well, uh, the gift of conversation is is my joy, and I'm so glad we got a chance to meet. And wishing you and everybody at uh, the Plaza, as we call it, uh, very good luck in helping people. Thank you so much, Thank Stephanie. You. Thank you so much. Enjoyed it. To find out more about the great work that Stephanie and her team is doing, visit plazajewishcommunitychapel.org. plazajewishcommunitychapel.org.
Thank you to Dan Tebow of Fast Twitch Media for his help in publishing, to Chart Productions, where we produce this and many other podcasts, audiobooks, commercials, and narrations. Thank you for subscribing, downloading, rating, and reviewing this podcast. Till next time, this is JR saying, as always, be well so you can do good. Take care.